Okay. Welcome. Peter, is this on? Oh, there we yeah, go. Yeah, it's on. All right. Good evening, gentlemen. This is the, uh, the first uh, breakout session. Thank you for being here. For those of you who have attended Fellowship in the Gospel in the past, uh, our previous uh, uh, Fellowship in the Gospel 13, we had uh, Dr. Brian Vickers with us. Uh, it was uh, truly a great time. You, uh, If you were there, you know that he has a great ability to deal with uh, the complex theological uh, issues with um, uh, the gospel and uh, make it plain and clear. Uh, he has uh, he has written a good deal of uh, scholarly articles. Uh, he has also written Jesus' Blood and Righteousness, Paul's Theology of Imputation, and uh, also Justification by Grace Through Faith. He uh, currently serves at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, as professor of New Testament interpretation and biblical theology, and uh, leads the seminary in most offensive facial hair as well. So uh, with that, uh, Dr. Vickers, truly a pleasure to have you. Thanks. He's leaving awful quick. Well... Grow up where you got it. That's my motto. And so I just do what I can, right? Just compensating. Um, yeah, I'm glad to be back. I have such good memories of last time. I remember, I recognize so many faces. I can't put names to all of them, but um, yeah, I had a good time. We had a good time today at the pre-conference. Um, tonight, I want to speak to you. Uh, the The title... Uh, the title, I think, is something like Frustration to Freedom or something like that. I don't know. Is uh, Jeff in the room? I just want to say the word frustration, the first time I saw that was today in the title of this talk. So uh, I'm glad you're here. I don't know what you thought it meant. Um, the freedom part is true. <laughs> and somehow, hopefully, the frustration will not just be sort of existential. So anyhow, we'll... Uh, I want to talk to you today, that tonight, though, about the freedom, the freedom of a Christian, really, to sort of borrow from Luther, or at least the title, anyway. Um, you know, as Christians, as there's those in some kind of reformational trajectory, you know, or some kind of reformational background, I think there's part of us that's always sort of uncomfortable with talking about obedience. The reason I think that is we have a tendency when we talk about obedience to make sure that nobody misunderstands what we're saying, right? Now, when we speak about justification by faith, we don't usually try to, I mean, we, we're clear, but we don't sort of talk around it and say, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying, right? If you talk about, like today, today I spoke on imputation and, then, and justification and being righteous. There's very few times I can remember either myself or somebody else speaking on justification or imputation or some issue like that, righteousness, and saying, now, I want, to, I want you to be sure what I'm not, I don't want you to mishear me. I don't want you to hear what I'm, I don't, I'm, you know, and we sort of list some things that we're not saying. However, 
when it comes to and I can understand right? I'm, but sometimes if we start talking about obedience sometimes we will spend half of our time making sure that nobody misunderstands um, because we want to make now it, it you know there's a there's I, I can understand that and as as I said today in the as I said today in the earlier session if we're going to teach something part of teaching something correctly is also teaching what it isn't you know whether you're preaching a text or you're talking about some uh, doctrine or some theme or something like that. So, and I can understand, and of course, I fully understand that we don't want to convey in any way that we think that we are justified by works or saved by works. Though for most of us, I don't know how anybody could ever get that impression being around us, right? I mean, I, I don't know too many guys who are in danger of making a whole lot of people think, well, God believes we're, God believes we're justified by works. It's just not really a danger, now, you know, but of course it can be. It can be, and we, we want to avoid that. But, <clears throat> you know, one of the reasons I think that we're uncomfortable with obedience is we don't connect it enough to the true issue, and that is the issue of Christian freedom. And the reason is, is I think Christian freedom is a particular kind of freedom. Just think of it, think of it just right off the bat. Obedience, freedom. Obedience, freedom. Now, those aren't two things we often put together. Because our natural inclination, and this is the second problem we have, is our natural inclination is to think deep down, or maybe practically, that talk of obedience is bad. Because we don't really like it. And part of the reason is, is we associate, we just have this tendency to associate obedience with bad things. Uh, we don't think of obedience in terms of the obedience, the obedience that flows from faith and that flows from a position of freedom. Because practically speaking, we often will keep talking about works and obedience as though we're not Christians. Even when we're speaking of Christian obedience. And what I mean is this, is that we can continue to talk about obedience and, you know, doing what God requires of us or what God desires of us, excuse me. As though we are working our way towards something, whether it's some kind of reward or what, some kind of what, whatever that might be, um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it as a goal, not as a starting point. For Christ, a Christian obedience, obedience begins begins from a position of freedom, not in order to get someplace, not in order to earn something. Um, not in order to secure something, not in order to sort of improve our place later, but from a free heart that for the first time in our existence is free to obey. Now, but again, we still think of obedience as bad. Uh, it sort of cramps our style, right? If I tell my daughter, if I tell my daughter, don't, you know, don't run out into the street, she's on her bike, don't ride out into the street. Well, you know, it kind of cramps her style because she wants to ride wherever she wants to. Um, and But, you know, she'll do it or not do it, hopefully. Uh, but generally speaking, when people tell us what to do, we kind of think that that is sort of cramping our style. We don't think, well, I'm free. Somebody's telling me what to do. I must be free. Well, the problem is, is looking at commands and things as somebody telling me what to do. And again, I think I think some, one of the ways we fail is, and we, we we fail as people who love something like love doctrines like justification by faith, is is we fail to show people what Paul 
shows so clearly in Romans 6. And that is obedience is part of the beauty of the new life. But not obedience as a burden. Not obedience that kills us. Not obedience that we just have to think, all right, already, I'll do it. But the fact is, is as Christians, when we become a Christian, when we, when we are converted, when we, when, we take, when, we, when we place our faith in Jesus, all of a sudden, we can do something that we could never do before, ever, not even for a second. And that is live for something that's not ourselves. That's one of the big distinctions between a Christian life and a non-Christian life is a Christian is free to do something that we are never free to do before that, and that is not live for ourselves. Because the whole trajectory of true biblical obedience is to live for others, is to live for something outside of ourselves, right? Why? Why is that true? Because what, what, what's one of the things that salvation does for us is it, reori- or it orients us towards the way we were made, and that is made to live for God and to live for other people and not ourselves, and not serve ourselves, and not put ourselves first. So, one of the things I, I one of the things I tell students all the time who are, you know, sort of getting really um, excited about Christian freedom, and I'm I'm excited about Christian freedom. But often when we talk about Christian freedom, what we talk about are the things I can do as a Christian. Here's the, here's the list of stuff, right? And and we'll and we'll we'll judge other people based on their freedoms. And what we mean is that our freedom to Sort of take part in certain activities, or to, or to, uh, to imbibe in certain foods and drinks, or something like that. And that's how we think of Christian freedom. In other words, we often think of Christian freedom as sort of how close can I get and still be a Christian? How many things in the world can I take part in and still be a Christian? And we'll judge judge people of either being sort of, uh, you know, kind of antinomian, too much freedom, or a fundy, not enough freedom. And we miss the point. That's not even Christian freedom. I mean, that's, that is Christian freedom, but that's not even the greatest part of Christian freedom. The greatest part of Christian freedom is you can give up all your freedom for the sake of somebody else. That's the most, that's the, that's the most wonderful kind of freedom there is. You're free not to be enslaved to yourself and your own desires and to live as you were built to live. What is the, what is the main What's the main part? What's the main point of the law? To love God and to love neighbor. That's what the whole thing's pointing towards, right? That's why the the prophets never the prophets only condemn Israel for two things: idolatry and injustice. That's it. And um, what does Paul? What does Paul and Jesus say? The whole law is summed up in this: you'll love your neighbor as yourself. And so, when we start to think of it, when we start to think of it in that way. We can think of Christian freedom <clears throat> less in terms of, oh, here's the stuff I can do as a Christian, which that's fine. I'm not against that kind of thing. But first and foremost, we think of Christian freedom, we ought to be able to think, you know what? I don't just have to think about myself all the time. I can give my life and give my time or give whatever in service of other people and in love for God. right? Not out of a burden, but because that's who we're created to be. God created us to, to live for everything apart from ourselves, to live for him and for others. That's the point, that's the relationship that existed in, in the garden. And that's, that's, that's the relationship that the law points towards. It can't provide it, but it, provi- it, it points towards that, right? To love God, four commandments, six commandments, love your neighbor. It sort of works out okay. That's, that's, the, that's the sort of point. We're, we're made for that. And so 
One of the things that happens is when we, when, we, when we become a Christian is, and Paul talks of it, and he speaks in weird ways in Romans 6, right? Having established that we're justified by faith alone, Paul comes, and, and, then, and then having established there's only one foundation for faith, and that is the, um, the obedience of Jesus, which is simultaneously active, simultaneously passive. There's only one kind of, obedience is always both, and Jesus obeys in our behalf. And as the new Adam, we have this new righteous standard before God, and that standard is righteous. God counts us. God, God has made us righteous in Jesus. And so then Paul, immediately knowing what people are going to hear, says, and you're familiar with this, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Right? He knows. He understands. You know, that's one of the marks. You can tell, you can tell Paul's one of the marks of, of, of uh, being aware and, you know, sort of being a good teacher is you can kind of think, what, okay, What's the question going to be? And so Paul has, Paul has this, Paul teaches, and you know, you have Romans 3, Romans 4, Romans 5. He works his way back to the foundation with Adam to show, as I said today, most of you weren't here, but he, he goes back to Adam to say, you know what? Here's why justification by faith isn't a big lie. Here's how God can be just in justifying the ungodly. Here's how justification by faith can exist. It's because the ancient problem, that is Adam, has been taken care of. And now there is a foundation, a true, real foundation for righteousness. And so then he goes to Romans 6, though, to talk about what life is like then for those who are made righteous. And I take, I take made righteous in Romans 5, 18 and 19 to be uh, a position. We're put into a real position, a legal position in front of God, and that is righteous. Right? And it's ours. It's not a legal fiction. It's not some kind of fake thing that God just sets up because he can on a whim because he's God. He does it because, he does it because uh, everything, that he, everything that he commands and desires has been fulfilled. And our sins have been forgiven before him so we can stand before him unashamed and uh, in his presence. And then so Paul turns to say, he, he, turns, to t- he turns to address, he's like, he addresses lots of things in, uh, in Romans 6. But here's the, I mean, and you're familiar with it, but here's the kind of things he said. He says, now, if we have died with Christ, died, dead, with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. He's, so he's looking forward, right? One of the things about Romans 6, and this is, you can see this all over the New Testament, just like 1 Peter is a great example of it. It's a whole book this way. It's pointed towards the future. Now, not just in a, you know, sort of pie in the sky when I die type of future, but the fact that the fact that it's that we are now taking part in this life that's to come, and that's why the New Testament can speak of salvation so often in future terms. Not because it's up in the air, not because it's you know you, you, you become a Christian, you just hope for the best. Not like that, but because because our salvation has not yet been fully revealed. And that's the perspective. We have a tendency to think of salvation as back there someplace, like when we came, when we went forward or something. And it's not as though that's not important. It's not as though the New Testament writers are like, wow, it is true. It is, it is, it is something that happens at conversion. I mean, that wouldn't confuse any of them. But the, 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 one of the things that can typically be different between the way the apostles speak of it and we do is we tend to only look backwards and they tend to mostly look forward. Resting on the finished work of Jesus, of course, yes. But they're banking on the future. Why? Because God's perfect track record in the past. 
And so they're looking forward to a present, to a, to a perfect future. And this is when he says, you know, we believe we will also live with him. We know Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. For the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ Jesus. So that, that future resurrection that we have in Jesus, we're taking part of that in that now, and the place where it has the biggest impact and effect in our life is how we live. Because when we live, when we live in a way that's pleasing to God, doing the, thing that ple- doing the things that pleases God, and I think that's the best way to, I think we need to speak that way when we talk about obedience as Christians, we are taking part in the life to come. Every time we do something that is in accord with God's will, every time that we live in such a way that we consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ, we are taking part in that perfect life to come. It is like heaven on earth when we are doing what God desires. That is Christian obedience. Christian obedience is taking part in the life to come when it will be perfect and and and. and there won't be such a thing as sort of a, there won't, there won't be sort of double-mindedness. There won't be such a thing where you do something that's actually good and then you walk away thinking, man, I did something good. Oh, I just ruined it with that thought. <laughs> right? Because we're so introspective and so in our heads all the time. Even when we do something that is actually good, we will kill it by thinking, I just killed it because I had a, I had a bad thought. Well, of course you had mixed motives. You're always going to have mixed motives. Why are we so shocked? By our mixed motives. We're not in heaven yet. We sometimes really just need to get over ourselves. In so many ways. But also in kind of self-obsessed introspective ways. Where we just sort of go away and it's sort of like it's self-loathing. But it's not really all that different than pride. Because it's still focused on ourselves. Right? Of course, if you do something good for someone and it crosses your mind that it was good. Okay. Should it would have been better if you could have done it unconsciously, just good? Of course. But the fact that you didn't doesn't ruin it for the person you helped. And so what you say is, you know what, I'm not in heaven yet. God forgive me that I still make everything about myself, but I'm going on to the next thing. Why? Because you're free. You're free not to have to lay at bed at night and think, okay, did I do enough stuff today? How many things? What's the ledger today? Because what's the ledger today? Because whether I know it or not, I'm insisting on acting like I'm still under law and not under grace. And that I'm really, really doing things in order to earn something, even if it's just to earn sort of a clear conscience to sleep at night. Because we love works. We love works because it's all about us. And the great news that Paul has in Romans 6 is you can be free of all that. You can be free from yourself which is the biggest obstacle you have, biggest obstacle I have. And so what he's doing is he's putting justification by faith, the free gift of justification by faith, into action. And that's what he's talking about. Look what he says, verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. You can't say that to somebody who's not a Christian. Only a Christian, only a believer, only somebody who has faith in Jesus Christ can be told, do not let sin reign in your body because only a christian is free to be able to say yes that's the way i want to live i don't want 
to let sin reign in my body. And don't, don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Now, we love to quote that all the time, but how, how often do we fall short of actually putting that into practice? We love to tell people you're, you're, you're not under law but under grace. But what that really means is you're not under law. You are not compelled to sin. Now, we're not perfect by any means, but that's the kind of thing that Paul's talking about because he's pointing them towards the future because it's all based on the resurrection of Jesus, right? So I'm in no way talking about sinless perfection. I don't have a hope of sinless perfection in this life. I don't, I don't think it's held out to us as something we can have in this life, but the way Paul speaks, the way Paul speaks, we have truly been reoriented as Christians, and not just reoriented to people who look backwards to a thing that happened to us in the past, but people who look forward to a day when it will be unbridled and unselfconscious obedience all the time. So much so that we won't have to be thinking, hey, I'm obeying. Why? Because we will be free to be the kind of people God made us to be. We will be truly and fully human in the image of God. Doing what? What Jesus did. Living for others. And living for God. And that's, that's the kind of freedom we have. And that's how, I think that's how, as people who sort of, people who love things like the, the reformational tradition of justification by faith, we have to help people see that. And understand that it is not works righteousness. Because you're not working for righteousness, you're working from righteousness. Not for it or to it, but from it. And that makes all the difference in the world. That's where you, you're, that's where you start. You see? And I, I think we have to be careful. I think we have to be careful also how much, now I don't want to get into this and I, I may as well say at least one thing that's going to make a lot, some people irritated. And so, but hopefully just one. This is one of the issues I have with talking too much about rewards is because I don't understand rewards as a motivation for obedience because I'm going to heaven. How many rewards do I need? I'm in heaven, right? And, and so, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying there's nothing about rewards in the Bible. Don't, 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 don't misunderstand me. All I'm saying is if we, make, if, if we figure out, okay, here's how you talk about Christian obedience, it's to get rewards. If you speak of it that way, number one, that's not how Paul or any of the New Testament writers speak of it. Number two is you have sort of, whether you know it or not, ushered in the old covenant because it's towards something. I'm going to obey so I can get something. Um, and, and that's not, it's not as though, uh, let me be clear, it's not as though, you know, you know, the reason the Old Covenant was that way is the Old Covenant was not, the, old, the Mosaic Law was not able to provide for what it demanded. That's why God says to them in, in Deuteronomy 10, circumcise your hearts, I hate your sacrifices, circumcise your hearts. And then in Deuteronomy 30 says, I'm going to circumcise your heart. Because they can't do it. And that's why he gives us, that's why he gives us his spirit. So don't, I mean, don't misunderstand me. But I think it's true. We have to be careful. If we make it only about rewards, two things can happen. People can think, okay, I've got to earn, okay, I'm in, first of all, think about it. You're in heaven. Now we're talking about degrees of good in heaven. Now it's easy maybe theoretically to think about that, but it's heaven. And I know myself. 
Just get me in heaven. I don't care if I'm at the top of the hill or not. It is better than the alternative a thousand million bazillion times because I'm in heaven. I'm not going to be motivated by rewards if that's the only thing. If, if I only obey for the reward, rewards I'm going to get, I, I, don't, I, I don't even care if my crown's rusty. I don't need to have 16 million gold crowns. A rusty one's good because I'm not in hell. And so that's, and now, and again, I'm not, you have to hear me, I'm not sort of, I'm not making fun of rewards. I'm, what I'm talking about is the, the way we can sometimes, the way we can sometimes misapply that, or the way we can sometimes um, use rewards in that sort of way. So I'm talking about the misapplication of Paul's teaching. That's all I mean. Okay, I'm not throwing it out. I'm not throwing it out. But we want to be careful. Because, again, it is never, Christian obedience is never oriented towards what is going to happen as a result? Because it's it's meant to be free obedience that desires to do it from a new heart. Why? Because that is the life that we're going to have. That's the life to come. That's the life to come. And that's why Paul can speak in such weird ways about obedience. Right? He says, Thanks be to God. This is verse 17. That you who are once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. Obedient from the heart. You used to be a slave to sin. Now you're obedient from the heart. Why are you obedient from the heart? Because you have a new heart that's been cleansed by the, by the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. That is a strange way to talk about freedom. You're slaves to righteousness. And he keeps going. For just, and he, he, you know, he, he understands. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Right? So, so understand, Paul understands that he's using a metaphor when he says, when he says slaves of righteousness. He understands that, but he's trying, what he's trying to tell, what he's trying to describe to them is the radical turnaround that is the Christian life. Where we are new people. We fail to believe that's true. And we fail to believe that God really does accept us solely and only on the basis of Jesus. And we fail to hear the voice of God in the Bible saying, just. You are justified in my sight. And instead we opt for the voice in my head of like, well, I don't know, I mean... Keep kind of doing this thing over and over again. I, I better fix it in my life before I go back to God. I can't really go to God again with this thing. Because we're not hearing the voice of God saying, you, you know, you're free. You're free. Uh, and he, he, let me, he keeps going. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Now, you see what he's doing, right? He's, he's, I mean, Paul knows what he's doing. He's, he's taking these terms and he's sort of turning them on their heads. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things for, of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Do you see? It doesn't, he doesn't say it earns it. It leads to it. Why? Not because you're sort of storing up things and I'm going to do these things and finally get eternal life. Because he, he makes a distinction, right? Right? Sin has wages. The wages of sin, the thing you get paid for is death. But the gift 
of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's totally different. You don't... Obedience are not... Heaven, if you want to put it that way, eternal life is not the wages of obedience. It's a gift. You see? It's a gift. It's, Paul doesn't even speak of the things in the same sort of way. You, now, the, the wages of sin is death, but, then he, but he, makes a, uh, he makes a point of saying no. But not, he doesn't say the wages, the wages of obedience, the wages of new life is eternal life. No, it's a, it's a total gift. It's given to you. It's free. It's free for those who believe in Jesus. That's the gift. So it's never about earning. And we have to be really careful. And one of the reasons I think we shy away is we keep wanting to talk about obedience as though we don't as though we don't have the spirit or as though as though we are earning are earning our way to God or doing whatever it is we're doing in order to maybe prove that we're a Christian or so that we can test ourselves at night when we lay down and think did I do more good things than bad things and all these different kinds of things that we do and of course there's a place for self uh for for um self-judgment and of course we need to test ourselves of course that's true but I don't know too many people in our tradition who have too much trouble managing to test themselves all the time to the point of almost obsession. And we need to be really careful about that. Because, as I said earlier, there is a kind of self-loathing that has nothing to do with repentance. It's just being obsessed with yourself. It might be being obsessed about how bad you are. But that is still, where, where are your, where's your focus? It's on you. It's on, it's on me. I don't just mean you. I'm susceptible to this. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm the, not public, I'm, I'm the worst offender in the room. When my eyes are on myself, but it's still, it can become then, of course we need to repent. Of course we need to recognize the bad things. I'm not saying any of those things aren't true. It's just where is our, where is our head the majority of the time? If the majority of the time I'm thinking about sort of woe is me, what am I doing? I'm just thinking about myself. I've been down that road a zillion times, and I know where it goes. It goes nowhere. But what we need to do is reorient ourselves and, our, and the people who are, that we're ministering to to understand the true nature of Christian freedom. We're free to do many things, one of the, not, not least of which is listen to God and believe it and not believe ourselves. And not believe the sort of voices that tell us otherwise. And um, the voices that come and say, I don't know, if you were a Christian, you would have, you would not maybe do that all the time. You say, well, yeah, but I am a Christian. And so, even if I don't have it figured out yet, I know that it, the Bible says I don't have to do that. The Bible says I'm free. I haven't, I, maybe you haven't figured out how to be free from it yet. Or maybe, maybe you know how to be free from it, yeah, but you just haven't maybe, I don't know, taken the step. Whatever, it could, any number of situations exist. But it all sort of comes down to whether we believe that it really is an issue of freedom. It really is. We talk about Christian freedom in ways that are, it's fine. But, you know, and Paul says, I, he, Paul says he has more freedom than anybody. But what's Paul do? I mean, when, we, when he talks about freedom the way we do. Well, if I want, I want if if eating something offends a brother, I won't eat it. Drinking something offends a brother, I won't do it. If I could, if I have to, if I have to shave my head in order not to stir up a bunch of trouble among the Jews, I'll, there's Paul. Think of Paul, the apostle of justification by faith, agrees to shave his head so that he doesn't become an offense to the Jews. 
Right? Why? Because he, he I can, I mean, that's, here's Paul's radical view. You know, the commands, days, keeping days, eating, not eating. Here's, Paul has the most radical view of all. You can do it if you want. Or not do it. But don't think that doing it or not doing it makes you something. That's the most radical, because that is true freedom. Paul's like, you want to keep a day, keep it. Just don't think that's what makes you anything. You want to eat something, eat it. Just don't think that's what makes you. That's what he says. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. That's what he believes. And so that's how, that's how Paul speaks about Christian freedom the way we do. But where Paul spends most of his time is talking about doing what? Loving one another. Living for one another. And when it comes to us, putting sin to death. Why? Was apparently so that we can love one another. And that we can put one another put one another ahead of ourselves. Just think of the nature of Paul's commands. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And what what is and then he and then he goes into this beautiful this beautiful hymn hymn of Christology in Philippians two. But what's he think about what's he talking about before that? Why is he why does he go there? Because he's telling the Philippians to do something that is does not come naturally, and that is think of the good of others over yourself. Think of Paul. Paul says Paul can say complete my joy. By being like-minded. Or he can, he can say basically, and just to summarize, uh, to, to paraphrase, he can say, nothing makes me happier than knowing how well you're doing in the gospel. Nothing makes me happier. Or he says, I rejoice, I continually rejoice having heard of your progress and your faith and your hope. That's the kind of, you, you, you can just read Paul and see the kind of things that are bringing him joy. And the kind of thing that brings, the kind of thing that brings him the most joy is seeing the good in other people. The good things that God is doing in other people. You know what? And that's why I think what you see there is you see Paul living out the sort of Christian freedom that he, that he teaches. And again, that is, that is the freedom, the freedom to live apart from ourselves. And if we can think of obedience in that kind of way, we can get away from this sub-Christian way of speaking about obedience where we just kind of take obedience and baptize it a little bit and then, you know, start talking. And, and then uh, basically where we find ourselves is we're under law, not under grace again. Practically. Not in our heads, not theoretically, not what's coming out of our mouth, but I mean what we do on a sort of day-to-day basis and not understanding the freedom that we have. Um, now, let me just say a couple things. I want to leave some time for Q&A at the end. Um, I just want to be, I want to be clear. I'm not, again, I'm not saying, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not saying that this is something that we can, I'm not saying that, uh, there's easy answers. I'm not saying that you just look at sin and just say no. I'm not saying it's not complicated. I'm not, I mean, you know, it's as complicated as every individual in here. And there's not an uncomplicated person in here when it comes to what's going on in your head some of the time. There just isn't. There might be. I hope that there is. I really do. But I doubt there's too many, I doubt there's too many people in their minds who, in their minds they're not, you don't feel sort of double-minded or you don't feel conflicted. Or you don't feel like, forget what's on the outside. Forget what, you know, I mean like deep down. And those, those, you know, and, and, the, and the sort of self-accusation that you have. And those kind of doubts. Well, what Paul is saying is, Paul's not saying, all that's going to go away. What he's saying is, you know what? You have freedom 
that you can have hope that you can live for something besides even that sort of complicated and confused mind. You have the freedom and the hope that you can get beyond that ongoing, nagging sin in your life that you think, this is going to kill me. Paul's pointing us to the fact that, you know what, there is a, there is a day coming when it won't even be an it won't even be a, much less a say, it won't be a thought at all. Why? Because you'll be made perfect and you'll be living for everything but yourself and your own interests. Because you know why? Actually, let me put that in a different way. We'll be living for our interests, but our, our personal interests will be the good of others and God. That's how God made us to be. You know, I can remember being a Christian. When I think about when I wasn't a Christian, I spent a long time not being a Christian, but I was, I was raised in a Christian home. I mean, I was a Baptist and doctrines of grace in utero. Um, and I'm not even talking about election. I mean physically in the womb. I was at church more as an infant than most people are in their whole life. Um, I, that's how it felt anyway. Well, I don't know if it felt that way, but it felt that way in childhood. But you know, I can remember nights when I wasn't a believer up literally all night with just the weight of it all on me. You know, and I look back and I think, it's not like I had a sort of a clear conscience and an easy way to go when I wasn't a believer. The difference was is I had no hope. That's one, not the only difference, but I had no hope. But now... One of the things we have to do is when we get in that thing again that we're we're prone to is to say to ourselves, what I need to do here is believe what God says about me. And what God says about me, he says, he says that you are made righteous, Romans 5, 18 and 19. And in Romans 6, Paul says, God says through Paul, you're free. Now, you might not yet have figured out how to be free of certain things. You might not yet feel that you're free in certain ways. But if you're a believer in Jesus, you know what you might, the only thing you might be holding on to right this minute is, I believe that a day is coming when I will be totally free to live for something besides myself. And that, my friends, is Christian faith. Sometimes, sometimes it is just, it has to begin with believing that you are free. Believing that you are free, and 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 start and just you know, starting to live in ways that reflect that in small ways for a living living for one another, living for the people closest to you. There's lots of practical ways to think about this and how to live this way, and most of it begins right at home. There's lots and lots of us who are great at living for others, uh, you know, one or two days a week. Not so stellar when it comes on, like, when you wake up in the morning, the people who are closest to you. But that's an easy way to start practicing practicing Christian freedom. You know what? I'm free this morning not to just be concerned about whether I get my, my, my day in order and everything that has to do with me. Maybe the key to getting my day in order is doing everything I can to help others around me get their day in order. And not become an immediate obstacle for everybody because all of a sudden I discovered I have to wake up early for work today. And I overslept, and you know what? You know who's going to pay for me oversleeping? My family. Because it's somehow their fault that I'm running late. It's somehow their fault that I, came, that I had to work late and I got home late. 
And so, uh, you know who's going to pay the price for that? My family and friends. In some kind of weirdly self-justified way, because we've, we're tired. How about that? I'm tired. So what? Everybody's tired. You know, I mean, really, I'm tired. I do that all the time. Like, I'm just, I'm sorry, honey, I'm just tired. Some, you know what my wife needs to say? So what? I'm tired too. Everybody in the world's tired. But when has that ever been a reason to do anything bad to anybody else? But that's, you, know, you might think, why is he talking about stuff like that? But I think that's where we have to start to be, that's where we have to get ourselves and start to think, you know what? This is exactly the kind of freedom God has given me. God has given me the freedom that even if I've had some kind of horrible day, I don't have to walk in the door like a bullet and sort of take it out on everybody. I don't have to. I don't have to do that. And what I need to do is, if I have to take a second in the car and think, all right, it is time to be free. All right, I'm going to be free no matter what. And go in there thinking, because when you're not, when you go in, when you hit the door like a ton of bricks, you know what you're doing? You are not exercising Christian freedom. You're exercising slavery to sin because you're, you're enslaving yourself to sin. And then who pays the price? Everybody around you. I mean, when I say you, I mean me too, Right? Now, that's an example of slave. That's a simple everyday example of being enslaved, enslaving ourselves again to sin. Just giving into it. And then you can see the effects because if the, if God's intent is that we love one another and think of one another better than ourselves, if I come in the house and I'm just worn out and I've had a bad day, whatever I think a bad day is, um, it could be almost anything. If I come in the door, and I, and, and, and I take it out on my wife, and I take it out on my daughter somehow, what have I done? I've just proven that I am totally failing to believe that I am free. Because not only am I sinning, I'm harming somebody else, which is the exact opposite of the reality of the new covenant, where God sets us free to love him and to love our neighbor. And if our families aren't our neighbor, we don't have any neighbors in the world. It's easy to love people at a distance. And so all I mean is this. I just mean we, need to, we just need to sort of rethink, how do I do this daily? And that's where we bear the fruits of the Spirit. Don't ever forget, the fruits of the Spirit, when I was a, when I was a young believer, one of the very first things I did was memorize the fruits of the Spirit. And I had like a little acrostic thing in my head. It's totally gone now because now I have four different translation versions in my head. And I can barely say the fruits of the Spirit because I'll... I'll say three different versions of jealousy and things because of NIV, ESV, NAS, KJV. It's all in there, and usually I'll just end up getting like three fruits out in like 12 terms, but it's really only three of the fruits. And so, uh, you know what I'm talking about when you get mixed up translations in your head? That's beside the point, <laughs> if, in case you didn't know. You know what struck me one uh, several years later about the fruits of the Spirit? You know what you need to get the fruits of the Spirit, to have the fruits of the Spirit in your life? There's one thing you cannot do without. The Spirit. Yeah, okay. You got me on that one. There is two things. I, I admit, yeah, I, I'm not even going to try to fight that one back. You're right. I was taking that for granted, but I shouldn't have. We think of the fruits of the Spirit, and it might be one of those things that we, you know, we, it's good to you know, we pray through them and think about having them and wanting them. But they can only be exercised in one way, and that is you have to be around other people. There is no fruit of the Spirit that you can, that's shown in your life 
without other people around you. I mean, I can be patient with myself all day long, so what? Right? Big deal. Well, that's okay, Brian. I mean, you know, you'll do better next time. Oh, thanks, Brian. I really appreciate it. You know, uh, or to love myself, you know, and just pat, pat myself on the, you know, long suffering. See, that's probably patience. That's probably two for patience. Um, I can be compassionate with myself. You know, it's, you know, it's okay. You know, you, you meant to do better. I really did mean to do better. You'll do better next time. I really will do better. Thank you. What you need, you can't bear the fruit of the Spirit without other people around you, period. They're all community fruits. Every single one of them. And what are they? They're the fruits of the Spirit. And, and, and what, who is the Spirit? The Spirit is God's gift in the new covenant that He pours out in our hearts so that we'll do what? Live for Him. So that He'll write His law on our heart. Now, I don't think that means He writes all the Mosaic law on our hearts. I think He writes, He writes the intention of the law on our hearts, and that is love God and love, a neighbor, love our neighbor. And that's why, and so we're free. Like, and Paul's talking about the Spirit in Romans 6 too. Right, so it's this, it's this new life, and so brothers, all I, what I want to do tonight is just encourage you, encourage you to be thinking about, you know, we really do need to talk about obedience in a new covenant way, from starting from the position of those who are spirit filled and forgiven and counted as righteous, because that will transform the way we talk about obedience. Because then we can start talking about obedience in terms of freedom, and not mistakenly talk about it like. Well, now I'm a Christian. What am I supposed to do with obedience? Well, we're supposed to strive for it, not because, again, not because we'll gain from it, but just remember, and I said this before, but I think I want to say it one more time. When we are living in accordance with God's will, we are truly taking part in the future life to come. It is heaven on earth. Right? I mean, when we fellowship together, we think of heaven on earth in terms of foretaste of, of heaven in terms of fellowship, and, when we're, and we should. That's true. But one of the ways we don't think about it, but, but one of the main ways the New Testament connects it is how the new life in the Spirit is the new life of the Spirit that is the Spirit of the resurrected Jesus who sits enthroned at the right hand of God. And in and, and, and the place where our inheritance is kept forever, kept by God and guarded by the power of God, waiting for us, as, and now we're taking part in it through the Spirit. So when we walk by the Spirit and bear the fruit of the Spirit and we exercise Christ, the freedom of Christian obedience, it is, honestly, heaven on earth. It is the new heavens and the new earth breaking into now. Because there, I promise you, and I promise myself, there is a day coming where you won't have to have second thoughts. There's a day coming when you won't have to, you won't have to say, okay, I've got to get myself in order. Because you will be everything that God intends you to be. And that's what we're called to do now. We're called to take part in the life to come. Why? Because God has given us an inheritance of life to come in the Spirit. And He set us free from the old life, and that is sin and death. Now, the stink of Adam is still all over us. And the smell of death is still hanging on us. But we're free to look at that and say, yeah, it's still hanging all over me, but you know what? I'm free from it. The grave has nothing for me. It can't hold me. No matter what may happen, it can't hold me because I've been set free. And one day is going to come and I'll be free, truly free indeed, to live in every single way that pleases God. And I won't be double-minded about it. I'll be completely on board. 
God's will and my will, your will, our will, will be one. And that's who he's made us to be. And so that's, I, I just, that's, how I, that's how I would like for us, and we who love justification by faith, when we start talking about obedience, let's not just sort of make sure people don't hear us saying, you know, that we're in jeopardy, we're endangering justification by faith. I think if we speak of obedience in the right kind of way, people won't think we're talking about works righteousness. People will think we're talking about a new life that's possible. And what we find when we live this new life is, believe it or not, true satisfaction. Because Lord knows, heaven knows, that the pursuit of all these things we think will give us pleasure never, ever, ever do. That's why we keep pursuing them over and over and over again in the same ways. But the pleasure that comes and the, the pleasure and satisfaction that comes from living the way God wants us to live, that is true pleasure. Because we're, God, God is all about pleasure and satisfaction. But it's pleasure and satisfaction in Him and in other people. So let's, let's brothers, let's, 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 by the grace of God, this week, let's, let's put this, let's try to put this into practice, just in terms of just the people who are closest to you. The people who are most, most quickly and most often, uh, affected by our insistence not to be free from sin. Right? Because it just has immediate knock-on effect. We enslave ourselves to sin again, or think we're enslaved to sin again, and then we fail to love somebody else. We harm them instead of love them. It should not be that way. But here's the great news. It doesn't have to be that way. And we're on, we're on a trajectory where it will never be that way again. And we have to be quick because it's not going to go away. We have to be quick to repent, not just before God, but to those around us. Because you're free now to look at somebody and say, you know what? I was stone cold 100% wrong. That's another freedom. That's another Christian freedom is to be able to look at somebody in the face and say, I was wrong. I was absolutely wrong. And it's not, you know, honey, I wouldn't have yelled at you, but you, you know, that, you know, that sort of, that sort of half where you hear this and, and husbands do this all the time. You know, honey, I wouldn't have said what I said to you, but you said, there's always this, but husbands are always like, I, you know what? I'm sorry I did it, but you made me do it. Sometimes we just need to, you know, because we're just protecting ourselves. We need to throw that aside and say, honey, you know what? I'm absolutely wrong. I failed to love you as Christ loves you. And then experience that freedom. There's freedom all around us. There really, really is. Uh, but we have to enter into it. And you enter into it by faith, by believing it. Now I have a few minutes, I have like 10 minutes or so left. I'm happy to take questions. Went a little longer than I'd planned to. 